Welcome back to the fifth episode of our podcast, Are We There Yet? I'm Martin. And I'm Anika. Now that our winter break is over and school has truly started, we are ready to go back to our reflecting and occasional overanalysis. Thank you for joining us. We wanted to start off the new semester by talking about something all college students can relate to, textbooks. And how expensive they are. Then we'll expand our conversation to talk a little bit about how the way we see education has changed over time. To give a little perspective on the Penn textbook scene, we asked a few students about their struggles getting class textbooks. I had to buy my physics textbook, and it was $197, and I even got a used copy, and it was still uber expensive. I just wanted to get the first edition, but next semester I'm going to need the second edition for the next version of physics. So I had to get the entire textbook, and I didn't even get the solution manual, so the practice problems are pretty much useless. Considering how much students pay for their college tuition, it seems strange that they have to pay so much for textbooks that are required for their classes. We're wondering, why are textbooks expensive? I guess part of the reason with textbooks being so expensive, particularly at the college level, is that you start taking really arcane classes. Maybe arcane is not the right word, but very specific classes that not a lot of people are going to buy the textbooks for in order to try and make this profitable the prices increase. But it's hard to understand how we deal with this issue because there's an interesting ethics behind pricing textbooks. After all, isn't the purpose of textbooks to help other people learn? One question is whether or not it's ethical for a professor to assign a textbook to their students that they themselves wrote. Now, it's maybe because they get profits from this, but another reason is because the subject they're teaching is so specific that only something they wrote can be useful to their students. It's hard, this trade-off between specificity and cost, because it's really exciting when your professor is the topmost researcher in the field that you're studying. But at the same time, it can be frustrating when you have to dole out the expensive prices of these textbooks. And in many cases, teachers may not even know the cost of their own textbooks, because they're not the ones who buy it. They assign them, and um, if they themselves knew how exorbitant the price was, they might not assign them. I think what we're seeing is that textbooks, especially on college campuses, really mask the tuition. So it's an interesting layer to talk about, especially coming back to the new semester. It's interesting that many textbooks are mandatory for classes, such as uh, my econ lab and my math lab, where there are homework assigned online. And if you don't buy my econ lab or my math lab for 70 to $100, you won't be able to f- complete that assignment. That's interesting, Martin. And I, I appreciate online learning and everything that it allows us to do, but I also question how much software like my math lab or my econ lab is absolutely necessary for learning. We don't always consider if the amount that we're putting into education is really paying off. Especially considering when these homeworks may be multiple choice questions. I feel like it would be more economical to have worksheets and recitations and have TAs grade them than pay $100 per student for a software. And when you only use my econ lab and my math lab a couple times a semester, or for physical textbooks, if you only crack it open once to study for the final. Disclaimer. Um, both Martin and I are currently doing all of the readings for all of our classes at least a week in advance, and taking copious notes, 
We are extremely well prepared for class. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> on that note, um, I guess kind of going off what Martin was saying with the textbooks, I guess my issue with textbook costs isn't so much the fact that they're written by the teachers, but that there's so many new editions coming out that it makes it hard for reselling. And many of the new editions are basically the same as the older edition. For my biology textbook, the new 11th edition was basically the same as the 8th edition. Most of the content was the same. Yeah, I, I've definitely used older editions of textbooks online just to save on the cost of getting a new textbook. I think another factor that has changed the textbook market is Amazon, where you can buy used books really cheaply um, for way less than you can get at, for example, the Penn Bookstore. It definitely helps students to have a standard of comparison. Now, I don't have to be a price taker in terms of just accepting whatever the Penn Bookstore is offering for me. I have the option to compare between multiple sellers. The internet definitely changes the game. <laughs> the internet has really changed the game, not for just sex books, but also the model of how we learn. Online education has become increasingly popular these days with services like Coursera, Khan Academy, Khan Academy, <laughs> <laughs> MIT OpenCourseWare, um, Code Academy, even Wikipedia. I mean, my math teacher sends me math articles and it's part of our homework to read. Yeah, and Wikipedia is actually um, more accurate than Encyclopedia Britannica sometimes. I believe it. I mean, I love the idea of this community of people coming together to create a massive database of learning. I mean, I think as important as peer review is for research journals, I think there's something really incredible about this sort of democratic process of review. I think what's so exciting about this new online revolution, per se, is that we have so much access. I mean, with Coursera, with just even Google searching, we have so much information at our fingertips. I can't even begin to explain the number of Coursera <laughs> courses that I've started but never finished. <laughs> and I think I think that's one difference between traditional versus online education because these online courses have to be self-driven. You know, there's uh, you have to be committed to it to finish it because there's no incentive other than your own um, personal goals, and there aren't any consequences to not finishing. And then there's a separate question of if online education is effective the same way. So even if you finish the course, are you t getting as much out of it as you would be in a traditional classroom? I think a lot of that probably depends on the subject. I think if there are certain technical classes, it might be nice if people are able to get some of those credits that just need to be taken out of the way and move on to more advanced material quickly. I do question whether it would be beneficial for someone to do all of their learning online, but I wonder if we might see in the future newer models of education, maybe the way people, a lot of people from my school would spend two years in a local community college, and I wonder if that model could sort of shift a little bit so that we're taking gen ed classes online and coming to universities for exactly what we really need for our major. From my personal experience taking AP Econ online, compared to my experiences here at Penn where I take Econ 1 and 2, 
I feel that online education often isn't as effective because when there's less motivation, it's e very easy to be distracted on the internet. So you have to be very <laughs> focused. And also, there's not someone to explain something if you're confused. You, ha you have to figure it out by yourself, which often is much harder because you don't have a new perspective. I guess the reason why I think this is like it might work better for gen, gen ed kind of courses is because, you know, lectures are so large. I wonder to what extent they're really interactive sometimes. One mix of technology and traditional learning that I've seen is sale learning, active learning, which we had in Econ 1. You watch videos of lectures and then in class you have group work um, with your TAs. How did, how did that work out? I thought it was okay. I would have preferred um, just a lecture. I feel that part of a lecture is just you have to attend it, and it forces you to pay attention. It's interesting because, in theory, it seems like active learning would be a great way to increase interaction between students and get the most of being there. But Yeah, on an abstract level, I really like the idea of group work. I just feel that it didn't turn out the way that the designers of this program thought it would. I guess it kind of makes me think how overall online education has huge potential to reduce costs for people and increase access to information. But for, I guess, if we're thinking about this from like a social impact perspective in terms of how certain public school systems, and I'm thinking more of secondary education, are extremely underfunded, online education and technology isn't going to be enough to bridge the gap. A lot of new funding for schools goes towards increasing the amount of technology in schools to promote STEM education. But I feel like that money would be better put to use by doubling down on what we already have and paying teachers more. I guess kind of what I want to conclude with is this idea of how much value are we getting for our education? I mean, Penn's education is technically valued at around $60,000. So I'm not saying I'm not learning here. I'm and I'm not saying students at secondary schools aren't learning, but, you know, at what point do we say the cost is just too high? Thanks for listening to our first episode of the semester. We hope you enjoyed it.